Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Nick Lippis, and welcome to the Built for Trust podcast, where you get to hear from all the folks who are building and shaping AI enterprise infrastructure. Now, let's get right into it with our guests. Hey, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Nick. Great to see you. Great to see you. I'm so happy to have you like on this podcast. You know, we just started it. And so, you know, we're having all of our favorite people coming on board. So, uh, so thanks so, so nice. much for, <laughs> well, thanks so much for like joining. Um, so we wanted to do this to give everyone an opportunity to kind of get to know just people within the community, you know, um, they, they get to see you on stage every once in a while, you know, for like, you know, uh, a few minutes and then, um, and maybe, you know, in the corridors, but um, these longer formats are actually really kind of fun. So let's, uh, let's start. Like, I think everyone um, would love to understand like your career path, you know, and kind of how you started and what kind of led you to, you know, being this, you know, cybersecurity guru that you are. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. First, actually, it's very stressful and challenging to squeeze 30 years of experience into a few sentences. Forgive <laughs> 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 so, me if I'm speaking too fast. Uh, I will try to break this maybe into four phases of my okay. first journey, um, and maybe you can have a discussion. Uh, yeah. My background is in computer science, so I started as a software developer, and then I led software development for several products in the network space. So I started with networking. <laughs> I know mm. this is very relevant for our discussion. Yeah. Uh, but then I paused and I moved to the academic research. Uh, I did my mm. PhD and as part of my PhD, I developed advanced algorithms combining machine learning, AI and computer vision yeah. to get new biological results. Mm. And what was amazing for me is that this technological innovation allowed really new biological insights uh, that helped drug design uh, and scientists around the globe. And for me as a computer scientist, this was an amazing experience. Yeah, <laughs> really what, what time period is this? You know, uh, what like kind of what decade is this? Uh, we're talking uh, almost 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's that's pretty amazing. Really, you had kind of like real foresight there to kind of study you know um kind of algorithms and ai like back in the uh you know 30 years or so ago like like in the 1990s or so yeah great exactly but what what was actually happening back then is that we didn't have cloud so for yeah. me to actually build these large-scale searches and platforms that i have developed over biological data i had also to build parallel and distributing com uh, computing all by myself so, so all right. So, what motivated you though? <laughs> what motivated you though? There had to be something that, like, you saw and that kind of triggered. Okay, I really want to study this and apply this, you know, to biological systems. So, what was that trigger that was Science like? Is oh, Science is fascinating. Hmm. It's so exciting when you're taking biological data. In this case, I was taking structures of molecules in three D space, and then you're just playing with them as a computer scientist. And then you're seeing new insights that you can't find in literature. Yeah. And it's amazing. This is why with so many computer scientists actually moving into biological research. And mm. we're still seeing many of them very active as amazing professors um, leading the research around the globe because computer science enabled us to see things that we couldn't see before. Yeah. And it is this yeah. of machine learning, AI, 
And in my case, I was applying computer vision because you need to take molecules to have three-dimensional structures. So mm. we cannot just look at them as chemical compounds. We need to look at them in three-dimensional space. And yeah. when you're taking all this data and you're learning what you can from it, you're actually new, learning new things. Uh, so academic always fascinating. <laughs> well, I'm fascinated by it too. Like That's yeah, it's like there's so much insight, you know, it's like I think a lot of folks have gotten into like, you know, uh, biomarkers these days and, you know, um, and kind of uh, tracking your own kind of biomarkers like over a period of time. It, clearly, that's not the scale that we're talking about, you know, here, you know, but I think, you know, folks can kind of like relate, you know, relate to that. And the more that you can kind of understand biological systems, model them and kind of see patterns with them and, you know, that can actually lead to really great breakthroughs. So that was that was really that was really great. So what caused the detour? you know, then, um, you know, towards kind of corporate, you know, um, computing. But also, also I, I want to say one thing, you, you mentioned something in there, and that was that, you know, uh, about science and computer science, and it just reminded me of something that um, Doug uh, Comer, Dr. Doug Comer from over at Purdue, uh, gave a keynote once at ONU, and he said something, and it just stuck with me like all these years, and he basically said, all science is computer science, uh, and all business is digital business. You know, and, and I'm like, yeah, Doug is right, you know, there. And so, you know, you just kind of like, you just, you know, excited those synapses, you know, in my, you know, in the back of my head. So um, anyway, so what brought you uh, into uh, kind of the, the corporate world? Yeah. So first cloud was the bottleneck back then. Uh -huh. So I saw mm -hmm. that we, we can't easily innovate without cloud. Mm, yeah. uh, because I have to build this by myself. And for me, it looked like a waste of time. We should be building this once for everyone. So this was the beginning of cloud. So this is why I moved to build early day cloud systems. But mm. when I started building them, I also started trying to hack them and see what, what may happen. And I realized that it is actually very easy to hack these early days cloud systems. Yeah. And this is how I got into cloud security, understanding that mm. cloud security will be critical, that even though yeah. we're building these wonderful uh, distributed systems, we need to protect them. Uh, so this is why I shifted to cloud security. And this was 16 years ago. And yeah. since then, this area is only growing. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, as uh, the footprint, the cloud footprint becomes larger, we need to manage mm. more. We need to manage the cloud security posture. Yeah. Uh, and it is still, still not easy to do. This is uh, what I'm helping many organizations uh, with, how to easily manage cloud security, how to feel yeah. comfortable with what you have, how to measure your cloud security posture. Uh, and I hope AI will, will be changing the picture here as well. Yeah, yeah well, that's, uh, that, yeah, no, that's a great journey because like really like I, I kind of like put the beginning of kind of the cloud error around 2007 time frame, like right around there, right? Like iPhone came out around that time. I think AWS, you know, launched their first service around that time frame, and that's really where you were at the very beginning of that, you know. And that's, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that that's that's great. That's impressive, you know. So then, so I know you spent uh, some time over at City, and like you had like a large engineering staff over there too, you know. So it's like, can you talk a little bit about that journey, and you know, and about that experience? Yes. So what, what is happening in cloud is that cloud is this huge ecosystem with services and so many things that people are building in these cloud environments. 
And while we can bring products to monitor the cloud, yeah. it is still not easy to protect the cloud because we want to prevent things or we want to respond quickly when something bad happens. Because if we'll go through the traditional flow of seeing something through the dashboard and then responding, it will take several hours. But there are yeah. things that we need to actually remediate immediately because we don't have the same perimeter architecture as before. So any right. misconfiguration in our cloud environments can immediately expose the data. So right. this is why organizations today need to invest a lot in cloud native security engineering, yeah. because they need yeah. to develop this, especially preventative and responsive controls that need to be integrated into the system. And many organizations can do, cannot do this with external products. They cannot grant uh, some SaaS application access to the environments to do these uh, activities such as remediation because yeah. these activities require high privileges. So this is why Citibank, we invested a lot in this cloud native security engineering. We yeah. had dedicated experts build amazing teams and really state-of-the-art solutions. Um, and, and many organizations are doing the same. That's the reality of yeah. our cloud environments, that this is what we need to do. It's not uh, as easy as bringing a product, connecting it, and saying, OK, problem solved. I know. Not too many people really kind of see that side of it, where it's like, um, you really, it's, it's not so much of a shared responsibility. The responsibility is all on the consumer. <laughs> you really have got to protect yourself and be in control of that. And um, I think that's, you know, the more that, you know, most consumers kind of hear that, probably the, uh, probably the better. Um, but that's, a, that's, that's, you know, it's a wonderful kind of journey. You know, thanks so much for, for sharing that. Now, you've actually shared a little bit of your personal journey, you know, with me. And um, are, you, are you good sharing some of that? Because I was always blown away and amazed by kind of what you've done, um, especially in dance and, you know, and at a really high level. So um I'm going too much back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think dancing uh, is not an option for me right now. <laughs> I used to do gymnastics, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you still have it in you, that's for sure. <laughs> so um, you know, but do you kind of like when you have those kinds of experiences like in your past, like they still are part of you, right? You know, and so like especially like if you're like your exercise routine and like, you know, and how you, you know, kind of um, approach, you know, health, nutrition and stuff. So is there anything you can kind of share, you know, that was like that you picked up from those days and, you know, and um, that you kind of that carry forward today? You know, sport is an addiction. Once uh, you start with it, you cannot stop. So you're always looking for things that you can do. If it is not gymnastics, uh, I used to swim, jogging. Um, I think it's common to many people who did sports uh, in their child childhood. Um, yeah. So I think uh, it's just uh, something that I cannot live without. Yeah. I I'm sure yeah. I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it won't me either. Ex exercise is a big part of my life. Like, you know, every day it's like I'll, I'll exercise. And if I don't, I'm, I'm kind of grumpy, you know, and I don't feel accomplished, you know, for that, uh, for that particular day. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I wasn't as accomplished as you were younger, you know, so I'm, you know, you know, hats off to you. So, um, all right, let's talk a little bit about kind of some industry stuff. So uh, at the last um, last time we were on stage over at ONU, uh, we were talking about 
kind of the convergence of networking and security. And that has only accelerated like since as little as like last October. So um, how are you seeing that kind of materialize and manifest itself, you know, in the marketplace? Yeah, so this convergence is actually very interesting. And let me also highlight, it is not new because even when organizations started building their early days network, they built them with perimeter architecture in mind. So building this perimeter is actually a security task. So we always had this connection between network and security. And many of the designs were done to implement certain security controls and isolate organizations from the outside. So we had this from the very beginning, but it is only intensifying over the years. And now many organizations have the strategy uh, for zero trust and network segmentation, and they're progressing with implementing these initiatives. Um, so the way I view, I view this, there are actually two reasons for this convergence. One, because this is how we should be doing our designs. Mm. Uh, we need to build our networks in a way that will be segmenting the network and minimizing the blast radius. Mm. So that's uh, something fundamental that we need to have. Then there is the second a- aspect of optimization. Because initially, when we just started with cybersecurity many decades ago, this was something new. And, and sometimes it was separate and it was not well integrated. But no. now it is not new. And now cybersecurity should be integrated into all the designs. No. And this is the only way actually to optimize the performance. Because if we're adding security products after the designs are finished, then it will always add complexity. It will not, it will all, always be inefficient. So that, yeah. we need this convergence to do better designs, to optimize uh, the performance of our networks and reduce costs, because we also yeah. need to have the holistic strategy with respect to products. And we cannot just jump and buy whatever is the best for each small uh, threat or small feature that we need for network management, then uh, we'll end up with huge amount of products that are impossible to manage. Yeah, and which is like the case today, right? The sprawl around security products like all over an organization uh, is crazy. It adds so much to the complexity. It creates vulnerabilities that you're trying to uh, plug. And, you know, it's like the, this industry has evolved. Like, okay, there, there, here's a threat. And then that's an opportunity for a company to get launched. And then they launch and, you know, they plug that one hole. And then there's another hole that gets plugged and, and on and on. So, um, so I think, you know, you're... You know, your thinking, um, which is really, I think, you know, thought leadership like right now in the industry is to approach security really um, from the very beginning of when applications are being developed um, and not as an afterthought, not as a bolt on that the kind of security teams need to be kind of part of the entire life cycle um, of an application. And the infrastructure needs to be built so that it's trusted. So you can actually trust this infrastructure, you know, and um, so I think that's really new thinking. Uh, in the industry that you're really spearheading. And I'm just like so glad that you're, you know, you're advocating this and you're, and you're providing a lot of guidance right now in the industry for that. So um, so then do you have kind of a roadmap or like how, you know, you, how you're thinking that people should start approaching this? You mean for the convergence? How can yeah. these uh, optimize what they have right now? Yeah. Actually, I think uh, cloud will also play a major role in this. Because mm. what what happens uh, with cloud, and actually this is something 
happening with every new platform. It is not just cloud. When we need to bring something new, we first need to build a dedicated team and do what's the right for this new platform. Because otherwise, we'll never make it. We'll never move to production. So most organizations created cloud centers of excellence and they've mm -hmm. dedicated cloud and cloud security teams. And this is exactly what is needed. That's a very good thing. They established these centers, they enable the cloud, and they're increasing their cloud footprint. And that's a good thing. Yeah. But now, and, and I hope in a few years, cloud will become a commodity. It will become the mainstream of most organizations. Mm -hmm. So now is the time to actually optimize and better integrate and review the architectures that are done by the cloud team and the architectures that are done by the network team, identity team, and build this joint planning on how yeah. can we jointly better manage this going forward so that it will be optimizing both the performance and costs. Yeah. And I think it is this cloud integration that may also be driving other areas of convergence, uh, especially when, when we're talking about network and cyber, because mm. it is part of the same exercise. It may yeah. be driven by, by the same uh, motivation uh, to optimize, and then organizations will be, okay, we have this massive cloud footprint now. How can we optimize this with our existing network architectures? How can we optimize the security of all of this? both uh, the on-prem, the cloud, and the connectivity to on-prem. So I think having yeah. a holistic view on all the environments will be very helpful. Yeah, you know, it's that's like, that's so insightful. I think, you know, um, seems like, you know, um, kind of the enterprise journey uh, into cloud really started to kind of become more ingrained like over the last five years or so, maybe six, you know, years. and. Um, and I think in that process, that's when the organizations start to uh, understand, okay, how are we going to do this? And that's why we had the kind of centralized, you know, cloud um, uh, platform teams or the cloud center of excellence, you know, teams and so forth. Um, but I think in that time frame, everyone was still searching like, okay, well, really, who owns what piece of this and, you know, and who's responsible for it, right? And um, I think what we've just discovered, like really, I think over the last like 18 months, maybe 24, is that it's really kind of like the network and the security teams that are really responsible for that infrastructure, that overall infrastructure, not just on the cloud side, but more importantly, you just alluded to that, is how does that integrate into the controls and the systems on-prem um, and where you actually do have the whole end-to-end -end piece and you have control over that. Um, one thing that the cloud does, it provides an amazing amount of uh, convenience um, and flexibility around scaling up and scaling down. Um, but you can't give that convenience up um, for control. So, um, you know, you need that control. And that's why I think those these teams now, these kind of uh, security and networking teams um, are now kind of taking over kind of cloud infrastructure. So I think that's, you know, I, I think that's really great, you know, advice and good, good leadership, you know, on your part to kind of be advocating for that. Thank you. And it is the integration. It is doing what is the best. And finding the strongest team members that can do the tasks that are needed. So it's not cloud or network. It is cloud and network. It is together. How yeah. can we jointly build these roadmaps? And it is the same for all the domains. It is the same for the integration with identity and access management systems. And then doing things like entitlement monitoring for cloud environments. It is the same for data protection. Because yeah. we need to integrate cloud with all of our existing data protection 
processes and flows so that it will be managed in the same way. But sometimes, uh, let me also highlight this, because sometimes organizations are getting into these battles, the new way versus the old way. Mm. In most cases, the right way is in between. We need to take mm. the good things that we have from our existing processes. We need to take the good things from the new approaches and cloud, and then we can find this best solution that is, in most cases, actually a combination of both and not one way or the other. And so I no. wanted to highlight this. It is just learning from past experiences, learning from the new technologies and setting the strategy for the future. Yeah, that's you know, that's that's also insightful too. A lot of folks are just like, there's a knee-jerk reaction to kind of just throw everything out and start something new. And it's like, you know, and um, you know, and the bottom line is that that's not effective. You already have that investment, and that's a great way to kind of upgrade your legacy, um, you, know, um, you know, legacy tech. So, um, so going back to like um, maybe market manifestations of network and security convergence. So um, we've been talking about uh, knock and sock transformation um as a key area and the more that we have been focusing on that within the community the bigger it has become um so i think there's that um component you know of it there's also reorganizations you know that are happening you know um and there's no one right organization you know i think it's system not systemic but it depends upon situational is really the word i'm looking for it's situational based upon the organization okay does um, you know, does the network and security teams that were in the cloud platform teams, do they come into the on-prem teams um, or do they basically have liaisons, you know, between on-prem and the cloud teams? Um, there's like a bunch of kind of like combinations there. Does all this go underneath the CTO? Does it go underneath the CISO? Um, you know, that's also a difference like in the way people are approaching this also. And then maybe the third area is around uh, OT and IT integration. Um, that's a huge kind of convergence around network and security space. So not to kind of drill down heavily into, into all these, but do you have any kind of perspective on, on, on those um, kind of areas or maybe something in addition you know, to that that I didn't bring up? Yes, just maybe to highlight the need for this integration. And uh, from the cybersecurity standpoint, sometimes uh, we're hearing this, oh, OT, that's something different. Uh, We'll just treat it differently. We don't need to report this with our cybersecurity metrics. Um, these are separate systems. But looking at the history of cybersecurity breaches, unfortunately, many of the OT systems were also connected to IT systems. And when mm -hmm. there is a breach, there is a big impact. So we cannot disconnect this. We do need to look yeah. at all the flows, all the connection points, look at this holistically, and then uh, build joint solutions and then also track metrics across across both, um, yeah. presenting them jointly. And because unfortunately we saw this cascading effect uh, in some of the organizations. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Let's um let's shift a little bit. You know. Um. So I'm so glad that I actually I didn't know that you had that background in uh, AI and ML. So um, there's maybe just two things. One is like, let's first start with like you know how you kind of see AI's impact on kind of cyber you know um so let's why don't we start with that and there's another topic i want to kind of bring up in a little bit <laughs> yes so i think we it is not that new most organizations already have some type of ai for many systems not just cyber and in the cyberspace um i think we have been seeing um, security products adding ai features for a while 
Mm. I think it is the generative AI that is slightly changing the picture. That that, that is what what is new. Mm -hmm. But for cybersecurity, it is also not always needed for all the systems. So let me break this down to when we need generative AI and when we don't. If okay. we just want to do analytics on what is going on, we, and this is something that many organizations already have, they can apply machine learning AI algorithms to the events and, and better understand what's going on. So this is something that that, that is not new. This is... Uh, no happening for a while. But generative AI can generate code. It can generate new things for us. So this is mm -hmm. what is new. It can be helpful for offensive security. It can be helpful uh, to just generate the code for us to implement and better protect the systems. I think this is what we'll be seeing that we didn't see before. Mm. Unfortunately, it is also used by the other side. So yeah. not all the aspects are that positive uh, because sometimes attackers are actually experimenting with it faster. They don't need no. corporate approvals to start it, using AI to generate code. And that's actually yeah. the advantage because then they can use these new technologies faster than we can. And mm -hmm. there is this asymmetry uh, that is happening around AI in general that for attackers, it is much easier to use it, both for attacks and uh, disinformation. Mm -hmm. While uh, we need to use it with uh, uh, kind of better controls and, and for purposes uh, that that I proved and really need them. Uh, so this asymmetry is concerning. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, what I hope to see um, is also actually two things. I think AI can help the systems to better protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Because of this generative nature, that's what I'm looking forward to see. Can the yeah. systems generate better code to protect themselves? Well, yeah, we're not there. It is more futuristic. Yeah. But yeah. maybe the system can learn about itself and then can mm -hmm. implement the missing code that developers forgot to add. Yeah. So that's my hope. Maybe we'll that's see a great, yeah. self protection in the future. Yeah. Then I also hope to see self-attestation in the future because today we as humans are coming to check computer systems i actually want computer systems to prove that they are compliant yeah and uh, previously we were trying to translate human languages to programming languages this is what mm. we're doing uh, um, as part of computer science these are the first courses when we're coming uh, to teach or when we're learning computer science right how to speak machine languages yeah. I hope that now actually machines will start speaking our language. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like I, I was a double E, you know, and it's like, you know, programming. That's why I'm a double E. Programming wasn't like my forte. I'm like, man, I got to like, I got to contort my thinking to like fit that narrative or, or to make that computer do something, you know, it's like, yeah, it never yeah. really kind of worked uh, that well for me. Too bad. But anyway, that's no, so why I get it. So yeah, so now it's a more kind of natural language, you know, and um, exactly. we can speak to it. Okay, yes. sorry, go ahead. Yes, and I hope that right, and we, I hope that now machines will prove that they're compliant, and they will improve themselves to be more secure. Yeah, we're still not there yet, but that's my hope for the upcoming years. Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually really insightful. Um, 
yeah so like if you know if the systems can actually learn uh their own vulnerabilities um and then can mitigate those vulnerabilities um then they become much more impenetrable you know that's um that's that, that would be great it's there's um we're we're about to launch um the ai networking summit uh at onug and um one concept that we're that we're all actually just um excited about um is it's very similar to what what you know this model that you just talked about but instead of just kind of like on the security side of it what if there was like kind of an ai kind of orchestrator and an ai kind of observability agents uh that worked on behalf of an application and that would basically configure that infrastructure taking lots of inputs in real time um to deliver the best experience you know to um a consumer of uh, of a particular application that you know that's a very different model from like how we've been building infrastructure before there's a lot of tweaking there's a lot of toil you know associated with this infrastructure and so um you know so what will what will it take you know what's the kind of the pathway uh for us to get that kind of orchestration configuration change management you know automation you know in but i think that's the that's the overall direction um you agree yes yes and i i hope we'll start seeing this uh, because yeah. we're already seeing this as part of products all types of products yeah um, so i think uh, we'll have better tooling pretty soon and it will be mostly about how now are we orchestrating all these ai features yeah. that we're getting from everyone <laughs> So once again, we'll get into consolidation later on. Um, similar to, I think the journey will be similar to policy as code because yeah. we already have policy as code in so many places. And now we just need to aggregate this and consolidate. I think uh, the same will be happening with AI and the AI features that we'll start seeing them, but we'll need um, to have this holistic view on everything that we're getting from all these smart machines now. So yeah. someone will need uh, to map this to what we want to see and then manage all of these uh, AI features, bots, uh, and everything that we'll be getting. Yeah, I love I love the world that we're about to that we're entering into. You know, so it's AI tooling, um, you know, within the infrastructure, you know, itself. Um, because like there's such a shortage in security engineers and network engineers, we're never gonna fill those gaps, you know. And so there's so there's a real, you know, need from a kind of a not just skill set, but just people um to actually fill these jobs and do these roles and so i think there's um so that offers hope there and then also it offers hope that these ai tooling can actually help us simplify this infrastructure um and actually build trust back into the infrastructure you know as well so that developers can feel you know that trust infrastructure teams can feel the trust that the infrastructure is like is trustworthy and that it can actually deliver what we're kind of saying that it's going to deliver so I think that's I think we're entering into like a really kind of a golden era, you know, of how we wire up a really large decentralized, you know, organization and um and maintain it, keep it going, you know, as well. Yes. But as a cybersecurity professional, I, I need to mention that the future is not that bright. <laughs> oh my god. Leave it to a security expert. <laughs> exactly. These wonderful AI tools will be powerful. So if we're giving these systems privileges, for example, to remediate things, uh, or we're saying, okay, this system can do self-protection, yeah. it means that this system will have privileges to modify itself. 
Yeah. It means that these systems will be targeted by attackers because if abused, they may modify the system to do something that we don't want the system to do. Right. So these, these are the risks that we'll need to manage and we'll need to carefully monitor all the modifications and that the system may do to itself. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and it will not be all right. Uh, we'll be seeing, as we'll be progressing with these tools, we'll be seeing more advanced attacks and we will always need to control those systems. Yeah, you know, this, uh, well, we were talking about kind of like how you trust the infrastructure, how do you trust the AI tools? you know, um, as well. So uh, do you remember like Cisco launched something, I think it was in the early 2000s called NAC, Network Access Control, so that if there was some kind of anomalistic behavior, um, it would basically empower the network to create a isolated VLAN, uh, and then it would move that traffic into that VLAN, raise some security alert um, for someone to take a look at it. That was so, I'm not sure how large that ever got implemented. I think everyone was just didn't trust it, you know, and it's not that they didn't trust Cisco. Obviously, people trust Cisco, but it's, they just didn't trust, they didn't want to give those privileges um, to the infrastructure to do that. So I think that's, you know, I think you hit really, you know, the, the nail, you know, and that is really about you know, how do we get comfortable with and what's that journey like to, to trust this infrastructure to work on behalf of the policies that are that are set forth? And how do we check that those policies are actually being enforced um, and that there isn't a hack of the AI tools, you know, um, or the AI tools don't malfunction in some really horrific way? So I think. Yes, that we'll always need humans to approve these things. Unless yeah. this is something immediate, uh, like what I mentioned in the cloud, if something is exposed and we are confident that we're just doing minimal changes to close this, we're not mm -hmm. modifying the data, we're just modifying access control uh, to reestablish the perimeter. Um, so when yeah. these changes are carefully tested um, and minimal, we can accept them. But most probably any larger modifications will require human re review and approval. Right. Good safeguard. Um, so 2024, um, any thoughts, you know, about what we think um, is going to maybe big events or kind of a incremental, you know, improvements and things? Do you have any view about what you're hoping for for 2024? Yes. Just looking at the way it has started, I think many organizations will continue their optimization. Hmm. They will continue. Uh, the internal integration efforts to make their systems and organizational structure more efficient um, in a way to do more with less and uh, to integrate network security and other systems just to improve their own efficiency. Yeah. Um, so I think that this trend will continue just, just by looking at what happened in January. Um, yeah. I think there is still uh, a lot of work in this space and organizations yeah. working to do this. Um, uh, and cybersecurity will continue to be critical. Uh, I think the new SEC regulation uh, mm -hmm. will be top of mind for many, uh, especially publicly traded organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, and it is not just the breach notification. It is yeah. also the annual reporting 
that organizations need to provide with respect to their risk and cybersecurity management. And this reporting will require collection of data across the organization, ensuring that uh, organizations have visibility on everything and properly yeah. presenting their, uh, their status. Um, so there will be a lot of work around this uh, because this information, this reporting needs to be very precise. Yeah. So can you remind everybody, um, you know, what this new regulation is and, um, you know, kind of where it came down from? This is this was last year, but it hasn't been implemented yet or it's starting to roll out. So, yeah, could you yes. kind of like just make sure everyone's up to speed on that? Yeah. So, so there is a new regulation from the SEC that is applicable to publicly traded companies. It came into effect in uh, December 2023. So now it is uh, effective for most cases. Um, and it requires breach notification and annual reporting. So uh, uh, by breach notification, it means timely breach notification on incidents that are material to the organization and annual reporting on risk management and cybersecurity. Yeah. Uh, both things will require attention. Um, many people are talking about breach notification, and this is why this new regulation is sometimes called the new breach notification regulation. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes breach notification is easier. The annual reporting may be more challenging. Uh, the main thing that our organizations are discussing when it comes to breach notification is this uh, definition of what is material to an organization. Yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, there, are, there are many incidents, cybersecurity incidents, that are happening all the time. Yeah. And obviously, not all of them are of interest to the shareholders. So organizations need to make this decision. And if the breach is material, this is when it needs to be reported. Yeah. You know, I think this is really just so important because like there's been shame, you know, that's been kind of attached to an organization that has been hacked, you know, and that all of a sudden becomes public. And then there's you're kind of in crisis management, you know. So I think what this does now, it kind of like it's like, oh, hey, I have no choice. I got to report it. You know, so it's um, so I think. And the more that we hear about them, you know, um, that's not kind of like try to, trying to be hidden. So like now they've had to be reported, then I think maybe there might be more sharing, you know, between organizations and how do you mitigate um, whether these are particular attacks or whether these are just best practices around how do you lock down and secure, you know, assets. So, you know, it's it's there's a, a lot of toil that's going to be associated with this reporting. Um, but I think, you know, maybe in the hopefully uh, my hope is for the long run is actually helps to improve and, you know, and really makes this infrastructure more trusted. I think that's really the hope that I have for it. Yes, yes. But we also need uh, to help the shareholders to understand what is the meaning of it, various breaches. Yeah. Because it, if everyone will start reporting on everything just in case. Then it also be confusing and not helpful for those who yeah. are trying to make their decisions. Um, so I think uh, I hope that this definition of what is material and how to measure the impact of the breaches, uh, this will be evolving to help everyone with this understanding. Is this material? What is the impact of this? Uh, should we be changing our investment decisions? Um, yeah. Because right now, especially if everything is reported, um, without the, the, these considerations, there are many breaches uh, that are not material. Uh, and this may add a lot of noise to the system. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you're right. So like, if you're, if you're 
communicating every alarm that is not important or material, as you say, then you get numb to it. You exactly. know, and it's like then you're like, oh, okay, well, you just ignore it then after a period of time. You know, so um, yeah, so good trigger. You know, on the uh, material discussion. Okay, uh, anything else on 2024, Alex? You know, we covered kind of a really a lot of ground here. Uh, yes, AI will continue evolving. Um, we will see it everywhere. I think we will continue having these discussions. Um, I'm curious to see the impact of AI to operations. I'm sure yeah. we'll be seeing multiple POCs, uh, experimentations, uh, but I'm curious what will go really into production and yeah. how much of the Gen AI will be actually integrated with our day-to-day -day systems. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, I'm really, you know, it's like, can we ever get, how close can we get to lights out operations is really going to be the question, you know, it's like, it's a good long-term vision and view, you know, for the industry. Yes. But um, Alex, this has been great. I think everyone got to know you better, you know, um, you know, um, from uh, versus like, you know, hearing you talk on stage. So now they know who you are and your background. So thanks so much for, um, you know, for coming on and, and sharing so much. Thanks, Alex. And it was fun as always. Appreciate talking. To you. I, I love talking to you. It's like, like we, we always we we our ideas just kind of bounce off each other. It's like really, it's just a lot of fun. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs>